Welcome to From the Proscenium Podcast, the podcast about filmmaking and movie watching. Today's episode is a quick cuts on second viewing Avengers Endgame. For this episode, I'm interviewing Michigan Mike, or Mike from Michigan, not to be confused with Mike from Ohio, which we had in earlier. And we went to go see Avengers Endgame with our friend Greg. This was the second viewing for all of us to see the movie, and I wanted to capture Mike's thoughts of the movie after seeing it a second time several months after it first came out. So enjoy this interview with Michigan Mike. Dustin was not available for this episode, so no Dustin this time. Here we are with Michigan Mike. Last night, Mike, Greg, uh, Michigan Mike, Greg, and I went to go see Avengers Endgame for the second time with the new extended footage. And I wanted to give Michigan Mike a chance to come in and revise or revisit his comments <coughs> from the first time he saw Endgame. Refreshing your memory a little bit about what you talked about from the first time, you gave it initially going in an anticipated C+. Plus and walked out giving it a B plus. What is your grade on it after the second viewing? Uh, I would I would keep it uh, the grade at you know B plus, possibly even up to an A minus. What did you see from it the second time that made you either keep the grade the same or raise it up a little bit? I think that a lot of it had to do with the you know really thinking about the the original avengers characters and how they dealt with the aftermath of the snap um the more i thought about it and we had discussed a little bit the more you know i went and was looking up the the good old elizabeth kugler ross's kubler ross's uh five stages of grief you know and looking at how you know, Tony Stark seemed to be in the acceptance. You know, this is what's what's happened. We're we're done with this. Uh, Thor was in depression. Hawkeye was in anger. I would say that Black Widow seemed a bit in denial. You know, the sort of numbness. And Captain America was in the bargaining phase. You know, of of dealing with grief. So maybe I'm overanalyzing. But it just seemed like each of them was dealing with it in a different way. Well, I guess and I left out Hulk when I include only them. Hulk seemed to be doing okay with it as well, sort of accepting that that's the way it was. And it seemed very apparent to me that each, because each of them was dealing with loss in a different way, and understandably that... You know, like Hawkeye would be very angry because he'd lost his family versus, you know, geez, Tony Stark being you know, accepting. What's that? You know, that guy in the red suit. Yes, yes. I just couldn't come up with the name. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Iron Man being accepting because it sort of, other than losing Spider-Man, it worked out well for him. So, you know, he got the he got married, had a baby, able to continue doing what he did sort of away from the grid, not completely off, but, you know, separate from society that seemed to have ceased to continue in a normal, you know, what would what we would normally consider, you know, a normal way. And as we were talking a little bit about it uh, with Greg after the movie, the portrayal of Thor, the way they did, you know, it was less of a caricature and more of a really seeing someone who's dealing with depression, both when you initially see him living there in new Asgard, as well as when they do the time travel stint and go back to 
old Asgard. You know, there was a, a very distinct way they they portrayed him and, you know, portrayed him very much as being depressed. Right. On, on second viewing, Thor did not seem as buffoonery as I thought he was the first time I saw it. I would agree with that. He was more of a almost pathetic in how he was portrayed. And, and as we talked a little bit about last night, he wasn't necessarily funny, but the people around him were funny. Yes, I, I would agree with that as well. It, whether it's that sort of, you know, you see it happen in regular life, people being uncomfortable by people being depressed and trying to be funny to help them out of their depression or, you know, just being uncomfortable around actual displays of depression. Right. And in your comments earlier, it didn't really dawn on me until you mentioned it that Hawkeye was not around for any of the events. He was an innocent bystander. He was out playing with his family and having a cookout when they disappeared. So he was caught completely by surprise. So you can see him being a bit more angry than the other ones because he was not part of the defeat. Correct. And then with Hulk, and I missed this the first time, was that he said he went into the lab and figured out because remember, at the end of Infinity War, he could not hulk out. And he went into the lab to figure out how to do that and ended up healing himself. So you can see that how he would be further along in the, the depression or the, uh, the grief recovery because he cured himself of the problem he was having. Right. And he had been more depressed through Thor Ragnarok and into uh, Infinity War. So it was, it was a much more complex and deeper movie than I gave it credit for the first time I watched it. And I think part of that was because I was went in with so much expectation. Cause we did, I went to see it on the opening weekend. So there's all that anticipation. And this is the culmination of all these movies and wanting to see what happened before I heard any of the spoilers. And it was nice to sit back and watch it knowing what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And seeing what they what they put into that making of that movie, and I I give them more credit than I on the second viewing than I did after the first viewing for putting I together think, a decent movie. Right, I think that's why I sort of bumped the grade from a B plus to an A minus. I mean, there were still elements of it that I found problematic, but it was the or sort of shoved in your face as much as you know. I have two daughters and I like to have them see strong female characters. It, it was nice in a way to see all the women grouped together to tell Captain Marvel they'll help her get the the new gauntlet where it needs to be. It just it seemed very forced and you know almost unnecessary because as as was mentioned last night, it's not like she really needs their assistance. Right. She can fly at ultrasonic speed and plow through spaceships, what are they going to do to help her get the gauntlet to Ant-Man? Right. Other than it makes a great poster and photo op. Exactly. And that's the part where it just seemed a little bit forced. You know, the, the other issue that I sort of had with, you know, thinking about a good bit about it afterward, uh, and it's related to the, the movie's already three hours long. You can't really add scenes with more dialogue, but it just seemed like including, you know, People bringing characters back and including them with no dialogue at all seemed kind of, well, it's nice to see them, but, you know, it would have been nice to hear them. You know, 
Nick Fury. You know, he had such a, a big role in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. I, wishing that they would have included a speaking part for Nick Fury, you know, having him come back after the snap, but never say anything, just showing up at Tony Stark's funeral seemed a little bit not enough for me. I understand that it's a three hour movie already and they had to make big decisions about what to eliminate, but it just seemed odd that they would make a point of bringing him back and then not having somebody who's been a fairly major part of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe not have a speaking part at all. Yeah, it dawned on me this morning that he took the entire movie and really only showed up at the very end. It was kind of a nice thing because he was on this he was on the porch overlooking everyone else as kind of as the quiet guy who's putting all this all this together. Right. So it was an interesting way to portray him, the guy as the ringleader behind it all. And I mean William Hurt being there as well. You know, that one could argue that while William Hurt was sort of the new person in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D., Nick Fury was the, you know, the one who brought them all together. And right. uh, it just seemed weird that they would have him, more so him than, than William Hurt, but have him be in the movie making that cameo appearance without even saying anything to anyone. And I go back because greg wasn't able to join us for this but he did send me a few of his notes his grade for the movie went from great to just good after watching it the second time he said largely due to the emotional moments no longer being a pleasant surprise but merely pleasant which i thought was interesting because his grade went down yours went up and i think mine's gonna go up a little bit as well from watching it the second time i wonder I mean, to me, it went from being, uh, you know, it was you know, decent to being what I consider to be good, you know, not not great. I think that a big part of, of my grade is a result of it seemed, especially in that third, you know, the big battle sequence, having so much going on with so many characters and not really seeing thought put into it. It's like, oh, we've got all these people. Let's have them attack one another. And there's so much going on and so much confusion on the screen that in some cases it was difficult to say who it was that was doing what in what part of the battle. So that's what kept it from being a what I would think as a great movie. The You know, needing to have all the characters on the screen, but being unable to make it so that it was about really any of them uh, individually and having the impact of, an individual, very limited. They had a little bit that was just about Spider-Man, a little bit just about Captain Marvel. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Yeah, the, the battle scene like, did feel a bit forced, kind of, sort of, in that it felt like it was staged for moments. Yes. So that you know, Spider-Man and Iron Man end up being next to each other. They come out of battle, and then there's a three, two to three minute gap where they can sit there and talk to each other. And that happened throughout the whole battle. It's like rather than you know, you have two armies with thousands on each side going through this hand-to-hand combat, but they could still each of them could find time to go off the side and do, oh, let's just have a little conversation here and have some tea. Star Lord got to do that with Gamora. He comes out of, a, of out of a hand-to-hand battle, and then he sees her, and they had complete nothing going on around them for a few minutes while he thinks he sees the love of his life again right yeah you know, like i said it, was, it felt like the battle's a bit convenient for everyone right seeing it the second time uh it made me think in my head as we were watching when the the, the big initial showdown comes with thor captain america and iron man versus thanos 
it could have used like a music from a Sergio Leone Western, you know, it was like <laughs> the big face off and could have been. Uh, yeah, that's one thing Dustin has pointed out in the past is the soundtrack for the Marvel movies is not very memorable. Like you listen, you watch Jurassic Park, the John Williams score is as vital to the movie as the action. Yes. And I don't remember any of the music in that movie at all. And like you said, during that, that confrontational when Thanos is just sitting there waiting for them to show up, there could have been something going on, a musical cue. Maybe there was. It just, it was invisible to me. I don't recall if there was. The sequence of that scene made me think of, you know, an old Western. Yes. And it, whether it was, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, or, you know, even like High Noon. That was their High Noon, you know, their Gary Cooper moment. You know, going up, like I, like you said, there may have been a, a, a musical cue there, but I just didn't hear it. One of the selling points to see it again was for the extra footage, the extra six minutes they added. And it was nice that it wasn't anything that really affected the story. But what did you think of the extra footage they threw on at the end for us? I thought that it was nice to hear... Stanley actually talking about being part of it, that it made it more about more personal, more about how all he had wanted to, you know, he even said all he'd wanted to do is pay his rent. So he made these characters, wrote these stories and to be among them living, breathing versions of those characters made it very special to him. And it, it, it that sort of you know, as they're ending this first phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, brought it to a nice conclusion, I thought. Yes, I think it was nice hearing him and him being as appreciative of them doing it as they were of him creating it. Yes. He, he was as starstruck being among them as they were around him. I, that was the more touching part than the elements that had been sort of more emotionally touching in the first view of the movie. Uh, Scott Lang with his daughter, all the scenes with little Morgan Stark, even the the fight between Hawkeye and Black Widow over who was going to die in order to get the Soul Stone. You know, they, they seemed much more emotionally intense the first time than the second. Having that full wrap with the words of the their creator made it a little more well it provided closure you know on that on that first segment or first whatever phase of the the marvel cinematic universe i don't think they needed to show us the outtakes of the hulk scene though yeah that that did seem a little unnecessary i was fine with it being the unfinished graphics i mean because hulk was pretty much a cartoon, a real cartoon character in, in the unfinished scene. But I don't know why they thought it was such a beautiful scene that they wanted to include in the movie but had to cut out, because I felt it was kind of, it was a throwaway scene. And that's why it hit the cutting room floor. I was expecting something other than that when it was the the actor who was on the bullhorn. That was funny. <laughs> yes, I mean, and perhaps that's why they had, they decided to include that, was because of that, it's seeing him there. Yeah, I... Could have gone the rest of my life not seeing that scene and not missed it. So overall, you were happy with going and seeing it a second time? Yeah, I, I would. I would say I was. I was happy. Were you planning on buying the Blu-ray or DVD when it came out? I plan on having it. And part of that is I know that my my wife and kids will enjoy seeing it. My younger daughter has issues with the volume in movie theaters sometimes, so being able to watch it at home and control that 
volume so it doesn't feel like you know the sound is coming through her chest um yeah. we'll make it so she'll be willing to watch it with me um but she's the big fan of the marvel superhero movies so i think she will enjoy it although i she asked me about it so i i gave her a rundown in general of what happened uh and i couldn't uh <coughs> avoid giving a spoiler she was a little upset that black widow died because black widow is her favorite character that being said she is has become a big fan of uh captain marvel as well so hopefully as we move forward into the next round of movies she'll be able to continue to enjoy them even though black widow well other than in her own movie, isn't part of the the series of movies that are coming about. Are we going to go see Spider-Man? That's supposed to be the end of this phase. Oh, I thought that that was the beginning of the next phase. No, that's the end of this phase. Oh. At least according uh, to the Marvel guy. Oh, I mean, I plan on going and seeing it. That's interesting. Because I was thinking that it was a... You know, a beginning of the next phase due to the well, I, I read an article about it already, which probably I shouldn't have. But it talks about the, the introduction of Mysterio, the implications of Endgame. And that's all I can say without giving spoilers. Because <laughs> Mysterio is the Gillenall character, right? Correct. And they did add him in to the screening last night. His character was not in the first version of Endgame. Correct. Well, there was no after credit sequence. But now they've added one. It will be interesting. We'll have to get together and chat sometime after we get a chance to watch Spider-Man and see what we what we have to say. Yes. I'm I'm hoping that hoping to get the the girls to go to see that one. They they seem to like Spider-Man, so. He is popular with the younger crowd. Yes. They both like Zendaya. Uh, from uh, when she starred, or well, appeared in The Greatest Showman. So they recognize her from outside of the Marvel Cinematic movies. Yes. Anything else you have to say about Endgame? Uh, no. I think that, you know, that you know what I've already said sort of sums up my thoughts. I, I, I liked it. Seeing it a second time made me like it a bit more. I still had some issues with it, but overall... I enjoyed it. It was a good movie, but not a great movie. But uh, no, I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing where they take the characters that already exist and, and seeing what new characters they bring in. I think it has the potential to be you know very entertaining, and you know you can almost foresee future conflict between Bucky and Sam because Sam is the new Captain America and. I like the way they've left it, allowing some of the originals to make their way out and uh, leaving room for growth of the characters that are continuing on. Thank you, Mike. Oh, you're welcome.